Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today I'm talking to you about self-disclosure. This is a topic which tends to trip us up whenever we start thinking about creating content that might stick around on the internet forever. It can feel really, really scary as a psychologist or a therapist to put ourselves out there, but I think there are really good reasons that we should. And I want to start today with a story that really illustrates that point. So picture the scene. My head was in my hands as I sat down at my table and I tried to contemplate eating lunch. A year ago, I attended Janet Murray's 2020 Sorted content planning event, and it was the first time that I'd spent a night away from my children, who at the time were two and one. My phone was buzzing every two minutes with some kind of dilemma or an issue relating to my daughter's behaviour. My daughter, Robin, is a wonderful and spirited character and I appreciate every atom and every cell of her hyperactive body, but she can be a real challenge to look after and I'm often very, very tired, um, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, and I was not surprised at all to hear that it wasn't all quiet at home and that the person that was looking after her was struggling a little bit. So worry and a healthy dose of mum guilt that many of us know washed over me like a tidal wave and I felt myself starting to crumple. At that moment, a woman that I recognised from my online coaching group sat down next to me. I knew that we were about the same age and I knew that she had three kids and to be honest, she has a really kind face. (laughs) So when she asked me, are you okay?, I just told her my worries truthfully. And in that moment, I must admit, I completely forgot that I was a psychologist. I didn't have my professional head on at all. We were just two mums laughing about the ridiculousness of children's behaviour and how awful mum guilt can be sometimes. And then she asked me what my business was. And literally, I felt like I was making confession when I said the words, I'm a psychologist. And straight after I said it, I said something else really horrible and self-deprecating, straight from my self-critic, something along the lines of obviously not a very good one. To my surprise, when I looked up from my shame, I noticed that she was looking really emotional. So I asked what was going on for her. And she told me that it meant a lot to her to hear a psychologist struggling with parenting. She told me that she'd had to access services for her children and that she'd often come away feeling really judged and like if she could just be better and more like the professional, then her children wouldn't have these struggles and their family wouldn't be going through such difficult times. And I felt like in that moment, just being vulnerable, genuinely vulnerable, had really exploded something very unhelpful and a facade that I don't even think we're aware of a lot of the time. And then I kind of took that back with me when I went back into my clinic the next morning and I talked to some of my clients um, because I work with a lot of parents about similar things and they all said the same thing, that they were deeply, deeply surprised to hear that I had any difficulties in my parenting experiences. And it really made me start thinking about how I use self-disclosure. 
so I use ACT and I use compassion focused therapy most of the time. They're my main therapeutic models. So I've certainly seen that moment before. Self-disclosure has always been part of my therapy work. The moment that somebody actually accepts that they might not be defective um, when they're struggling with life is really, really powerful. And I honestly, I've always believed that self-disclosure in therapy can be really transformative when we do it in a thoughtful way. And it can be really important in our personal lives um, and in our content, the stuff that we put out there for other people to, to read, whether that's a psychoeducation blog or a social media post or a podcast, all of that stuff is content. And we need to think about how we can use self-disclosure in that content in a similar way that we might use it in the therapy room. So it makes sense to me when we're trying to educate people, when we're trying to do psychoeducation, that illustrating our points with an example of our own psychology and our own experience can be really normalizing and it can encourage compassion and acceptance. It is, however, also important to consider the use of self-disclosure really carefully because there are some pitfalls that we can fall into. So something I want to do today is talk through some of the pitfalls that I've considered and I'm sure there are many many more and I'm, I'm really welcoming debate on this subject because I'm sure there are a lot of reasons um, that you know won't have even crossed my mind yet why we might choose to hold some things back. So I want to think about that first, the possible pitfalls and the risks of self-disclosure and then I want to let you in on a um, system that I've developed to help me feel safe in my self-disclosure and to help make sure that I do it in a way that is beneficial to clients while holding the boundaries that keep the therapeutic relationship safe and also help potential um, clients who might be thinking about accessing my online course or um, maybe working with me in a different way outside of the therapy room, help them to understand the boundaries that I hold in that relationship too. Um, because I think that is a different consideration. It's different to a therapeutic relationship. But essentially for my work-life balance, I actually hold quite firm boundaries there too. So I think I want to let you in on that that system because I know when I first went into private practice and I started feeling like I needed to put more of myself into my marketing, I was I knew that I wanted to do it and it was congruent with my therapeutic approach to do it, but I got very anxious every time I did it and actually creating a system where I can literally run through a checklist makes me feel a lot more secure before I hit that publish button. So I really wanted to share that with you guys. Okay, so let's start with the pitfalls. So some of the pitfalls that I've considered with self-disclosure. Firstly, I think sometimes there's a tendency that we can all fall into, we all do it, of disclosing for our own gain rather than the client's. So making it all about me is one of my biggest fears. Secondly, inhibiting the client's ability to bring their struggles to me as they start to see me as vulnerable and want to protect me. And I think, you know, we've all recognized that moment. If you've been a therapist for a while, sometimes something completely outside of your control happens, which switches that on in the therapeutic relationship. Maybe the client um, has a bit of a rescuing pattern in their life and suddenly something happens to you which puts them back into that role 
And it can be useful, actually, if something outside of your control happens that, that brings that up, then it can sometimes be really useful to reflect on that pattern and bring it to life in the therapy room. But a lot of the time it's destructive and we wouldn't do that deliberately. Uh, or We certainly wouldn't want to. So that's something I really consider when I'm choosing what to disclose. The third thing I consider is, am I going to alienate a client by sharing a story that emphasizes our differences? Or more specifically, usually I'm talking about my privilege here. So is there an example from my life that, yes, it illustrates the psychoeducation point really nicely, but actually it brings in lots of points of reference which are going to be outside of the client's experience or might indicate a, a big gulf of experience between us. A again, it's not always unhelpful, but it often is. So it's something that I always think about. The fourth thing I always think about is, is this story going to ignite curiosity in the client that I might then feel uncomfortable with and need to shut down? Because there are certain stories that I could use for psychoeducation purposes, but I mean, not to sound a bit ego driven, but they're a bit intriguing and they might encourage the client to ask questions that I don't actually want to answer. And when we have to shut that down, that can be a real rupture in the relationship. And again, not always. And sometimes a rupture and a repair is really good for a therapeutic relationship. But you don't want to do it accidentally. You don't want to be bringing it in and just thinking it's a good story and then finding that's an unintended consequence. So finally, the thing I worry about with self-disclosure in all of my content and in therapy is whether I might accidentally encourage a sense of friendship rather than a professional supportive relationship that exists for the benefit of the client. And that could leave the client feeling like they need to support me. Um, it could lead, as we said before, to repetition of the client's usual patterns in relationships or friendships. And it also can just blur boundaries across the board. And it can be really difficult to come back from that if a relationship starts to go down that route. So for that reason, I created this system that I use to check my self-disclosure before I use any story for a blog post, a podcast, um, or any other purpose, any social media content I might create. So firstly... I rarely come up with stories to use for psychoeducation on the fly because my mind just isn't always up to the job when I need to find a story to illustrate a key learning point. So I keep a list of stories that I think might make a good example for psychoeducation in my project management tool, Asana. So when inspiration strikes me, I just make a quick summary of the story and a note of possible angles that it could take me down. For example, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a panic attack in Morrison's um, wearing my mask because I'm really, really claustrophobic and I just hadn't anticipated what it was going to be like to have to wear a mask for a significant period of time. Um, made me really hot. <laughs> um, so when I recovered from that, I just jotted down the story and the possible angles that I could use um, for that to illustrate a psychoeducation point for me. So the ones I wrote down for that particular example were normalizing a panic attack, the fear of judgment and the importance of breathing out because <laughs> those were all really live for me at that moment. So then I just put it into my notes in Asana. You could literally do this in the notes on your phone. You could do it in a Google Doc, wherever you store ideas and notepads. And then I just forgot about it. 
Um, and the next time I had a blog post to write about panic attacks, I then looked through all of the stories I've got in my bank and I saw that one and thought, ah, okay, this is going to be a really useful story. So it speeds up your content creation because when you need to write a blog or a social post, you'll just have ready-made ideas that you can use. So after I've got a idea in my story bank, I then put it through a test. So when I'm planning a piece of content, I go to my ideas board and I select a couple of stories that could fit. I then ask myself the following questions as a test before I'll use any of the stories from the board. So the first question on that test is, is this story a scar or a scab? Now, this is a really great analogy, which I cannot lay claim to. I heard it on another podcast. I think I heard it on Amy Porterfield's Online Marketing Made Easy podcast. But actually, I don't think she created it either. I think it, you know, it's just a common analogy, but I think it's really helpful. And by that, I mean, is this something that still makes me feel vulnerable, like an oozy scab? Or is it something that I've moved on from sufficiently that I can reflect on it with only autobiographical emotions? So I think anyone who's worked in trauma, you all know what I mean by autobiographical emotions. It's like it might still make me feel sad to think about it, but it's sad but firmly in my past and I've got the learning points from it. So in the vast majority of cases, the vast, vast majority, I only share stories that are scars that I've moved on from and I've learned from and they don't make me feel vulnerable anymore to share. Um, And a good test, if you're wondering whether something would make you feel vulnerable to share, imagine the worst possible reaction that you could get to it and think about the impact it would have on you. So there are certain stories that I don't share yet because I know that if somebody really called me out on some aspect of it, if somebody very strongly disagreed with me on a point that I was making about it, I know it would hurt me and it would make it difficult for me to show up again. So I'm not ready to share it. The stories I share, I feel resilient about. And if somebody um, took issue with it, argued with it, said I hadn't handled it very well, I would feel confident that actually I am pleased with how I handled it or I'm proud of what I learned from it, even if I'm not pleased with how I handled it. Um, And it fits my values to be sharing it right now. So there are some exceptions to this, but I tend not to break this rule online. So I think we can all probably imagine situations where we may, we may break this rule in a therapeutic relationship possibly in a very unique circumstance. But if I was thinking about do that, doing that, I would discuss it in supervision first and I have never done it in online content. And that's because you don't know who's going to see your online content and it lives forever. So if you do post something that you regret, it lives online forever and you can't really successfully delete it. Uh, or I'm led to believe by techier people than me that you can't really successfully delete it. So I don't take big risks in my online content. Um, And I think that's different for people in different professions. So you will see some marketers um, who are marketing very different products and services who are very, very comfortable to come out and say things that are really risky and they are really controversial. But for us, you know, we might change specialism. We might change the type of clients that we want to attract. And if you put something out there which is a bit controversial, a bit on the edge of your comfort level, 
it could cause you problems further down the track. Um, we've got our own kind of ethical regulations that we need to consider and we need to consider all of the future therapeutic relationships that we might um, be involved with when we're deciding what to share. So for me, online, you're only going to get the scars. Um, I don't feel like it's the right place for scabs. <laughs> I'm sorry if anybody's grossed out by that analogy. It actually grosses me out too, but I just think it's really effective and it will probably stick in your mind. Um, so that's why I'm using it. So the second point in the test, would I be okay with my most boundaried client hearing it? And by that, by most boundaried, I mean the client where I hold my boundaries the firmest. Um, and again, that's a good question to ask because with this type of self-disclosure, with online self-disclosure, they might. It's actually not likely. Most of my clients, they consume my content before they start working with me and then they stop because they have enough of me in the therapy room. <laughs> um, but we always have to accept that they could. So any story that I'm thinking about sharing, I always put it through that test. And that doesn't mean that it's a story that I actively want to share with that client, but it does mean that if they overheard me talking about it, it wouldn't worry me. I think, and I think that's really important because you're going to lose sleep if you post stuff that you would worry about your clients um, potentially coming across. It's just going to cause you loads of anxiety and you just don't need to do that to yourself because probably if you're keeping a story bank like I do, there'll be plenty of stories that you can share that aren't going to give you that level of anxiety. Okay, so step three of the test. Will it benefit the reader to hear it and then I make myself write a statement of how it will benefit the reader to hear it. And that is literally just me making sure that this story really is beneficial, that there is a clear learning point and that I've thought that all the way through before I even consider sharing it. Number four, is it relatable for the reader or could I risk alienating them? So this is about looking through for features that might be alienating or potentially upsetting for somebody going through a difficult time. Um, so clearly you can't screen out for everything. You just can't. And there are differences a lot of the time between us and our clients. But I think, you know, if you've been a therapist for a while, you'll have a good sense of what is a problematic difference and what probably isn't. So just looking through and checking that there aren't too many references to things that might be a bit alien to your potential clients or your potential readers. Finally, number five, I think about what is the minimal detail that I can include to tell this story effectively. So this is good writing practice as well as good self-disclosure practice. But generally, the reader or your client or whoever you're doing self-disclosure for, they don't really need to know the backstory. They don't need to know that in this situation, you know, the ages of your children or I mean, unless it's really relevant to the story. Um, but I think because there is an element, of course, there is an element of risk when we're disclosing online. I think it's even more important to just keep in what needs to be there to, to keep the story relevant. And usually that's about what's going on for you emotionally. It's about what's going on in your head. It's much less about the kind of procedural details of your life. So once you've got your idea 
And once you have put it through the test to check that you really are comfortable with it, you've then got to think about how you want to use it. And there really are no rules about that. But just as I would in therapy, I tend to use self-disclosure when I'm illustrating a new concept. So I tend to use the story at the beginning of a piece of content, much like I have in this um, podcast episode, for example, the story came first. So that helps engage the reader from the beginning, which is good writing or broadcasting practice. But it also makes sure that my self-disclosure doesn't take up too much space in the session. So I make sure that I finish the story and then I move into the action for the reader to take. Or if I was in the therapy room, obviously I'd move into like, where can we find a similar experience to this in your life? So you're always placing the emphasis back onto their experience as quickly as you can. And you're making it really clear that that story was solely for the purpose of helping them. So I think there's a good chance that some of you listening to this will still be worrying about self-disclosure and still be thinking that it is a little bit scary. So this is one of the reasons that I set up the Do More Than Therapy membership, because this is a topic that you can bring up in places like peer supervision or our weekly office hours. So if you want to think more about self-disclosure and you want the support of other mental health professionals who are all creating online resources like blogs, social media content, podcasts and much more, then you should come over and think about joining the Do More Than Therapy membership because our supportive community is a really great place to bring questions about self-disclosure. And we're also, thinking about it, running a business and content strategy course from mid-November where I'm going to be helping you create your own personal personalized framework for self-disclosure in your content and helping you implement that because this is a big stumbling block for a lot of people. So I hope that's got you thinking about self-disclosure and I would love to carry on the conversation. So please do drop me a DM at Rosie Gilderthorpe and let me know what you made of this episode and what your main takeaway is. Planning on launching something new? Hoping to reach more people and build a business that lets you live your values while avoiding burnout? then you need to download my cheat sheet, 14 Steps to a Simple Launch. It's a foolproof process to make sure you develop your project with the people you want to help and then get it in front of as many of them as possible. It's totally free and you can find it at psychologist.drosie.co.uk. I'll put the link in the show notes.